Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Skip Podcast, dedicated to helping you get ahead in your tech career. This is the first episode, and on the first episode, I wanted to ensure that I hit on the most common career questions I get. And really, what I think all of us should have is a, at least a loose career framework that helps guide us through those important decisions. Now, the big ones are, should I leave or take a new job? But it also might be just when people feel stuck and people feel anxiety that I just feel like I don't want to take the energy to look for another thing, but I'm not sure my current thing is working. And so how do I navigate these? Like, how do I think through how to be intentional about my job transitions? And that's really what this career framework is all about. As a basic framework, I think when people come to me and they ask me, you know, I'm thinking about making a job transition or I'm looking at a few offers. Now, the first question I always ask is, well, how are you making that decision? What's the details behind it? And how are you prioritizing? In some cases, people come to me with big spreadsheets and that's okay. And usually the columns of the spreadsheet look pretty similar. They basically say that, look, well, I want to make sure I have an amazing manager. And I want to make sure that I'm thinking about compensation. Compensation really matters this stage in my career. And I think brand matters. I feel like I want to keep the brand going or I haven't had the brand name yet on my background, on my LinkedIn. And so great manager, compensation, making sure that I have a good brand, that comes up a lot. Then, of course, the product. A lot of the people I talk to are product managers, and they're always about the product. You know, I want to make sure that I'm proud of the product. That product is mission-based. That product is a product I can tell my friends about. A product is something I can influence because I use. And so a great product really matters. And then lastly, the scope. I want to make sure that the job is not only broad enough to have a lot of scope, but it's a path to leadership. And in some ways, this sort of scope and product and manager compensation brand, these are the top five that people come to me with. And I don't think those are bad, but I don't think that they're very helpful because they're the same list that everyone has. Because I think almost all of you that are listening right now that have thought about a job transition or the next one they're making, that's the same list that you end up having. The challenge is that you want a career framework that's very personal to you and so if your list and everyone else's list is the same, well, then you're not really going to be able to make that decision around stay versus go or job one versus job two. I would even submit that after we have this conversation, you might find that maybe some of those five don't matter as much anymore. And so in some ways, I'm going to present you a different framework, a different five questions or a different five columns on your spreadsheet that you should use. So before I do, first a set of ground rules, a set of things that I tend to think are key principles in this whole discussion. I think one is that I named the skip for a reason. I think that skip to me means this sort of job after next. And in some ways, working backwards from where you're heading is actually the most effective way to think through career. And so what I'm looking to understand is if you're in a position where you're making a transition from job one to job two, think about job three. Think about like today, I am a product manager working at a big tech company as an individual contributor, but is your path to eventually become a head of product? Well, if that's the case, think about the skills that a head of product would need, and then think about what this next job that you're considering, job one, job two, staying, how does it help you get there? 
And so the idea of sort of skipping ahead and then reverse engineering, if you will, the next role will matter. The second piece here is a lot of times, especially early in career, we think that jobs are going to be rather few, that, oh, you know, I'll have three or four jobs. But I think as I've written about in my newsletter, many cases, 10 years of tech companies is rather short. It's two years, three years, not eight years, 10 years. And if you're going to work for the age of 25 to potentially 70 or 65, given life expectancy and given the fact that retirement is less interesting to people than finding a really satisfying career, then I kind of feel like you might have 40, 50 years of career in jobs that last three, four, five years. That's just a lot of jobs. That could be 20 jobs. And if you have 20 jobs, then you almost have to think about each job as a chapter of a book. And as you read a book, as it unfolds, each chapter is a setup for the next. And the ones that are sort of near the end are a lot more substantive and a lot more critical than the ones that are near the beginning. And so if you have that mindset that it's chapters in a book, not periods in a hockey match or in a soccer match. I think you start thinking a lot more strategically about each of these decisions. And then the last thing I would say is that we often talk about career guidance generically, but I think career guidance shifts pretty dramatically when we get to leadership. I think that in leadership, what I've found is that leaders tend to be career managed in just a different way. And what I mean by that is that the compensation, for example, for leaders is just dramatically higher. You know, you might make as a leader in one month that you make in an entire year when you're early in your career. And so in some ways, the speed to become a leader is actually more important to optimize for than trying to eke out all the gains of each particular role as you set that direction up. But leadership roles are actually much shorter for many people. They don't last as long because it's less about competence and more about mutual fit. And so in some ways, when you're early in your career, you're given a task. It's rather well-defined. And if you continue to do well, you will grow. When you get to a leader, chemistry, soft skills, needs of the organization, the growth of the organization has a lot to do with whether you as a leader are really working out. And so you can have highly competent leaders who frequently just end up lasting two years. In fact, chief product officers, on average, their tenure is two years. And in some cases, it's less than two years. And that's the average, meaning that people go 18 months and they feel like they've fulfilled their job or the CEO feel like they have fulfilled their job. And so when the tenures are so short, you all oftentimes need a very thoughtful career framework around how you think through these short-lived but highly impactful roles. And the last thing, and this kind of speaks to the first characteristic that we mentioned in our career framework, is that managers, particularly for leaders, are often very, very weak. Much weaker, I would say, than the managers that we see in, for individual contributors. Because in many ways, to be a successful executive, the traits are not being an exceptional manager. The traits are perhaps being a tremendous entrepreneur or having a very, very deep hyper skill like entrepreneurship or the ability to drive growth. And so as a result, the ability to teach, the ability to coach, the ability to be sort of a future self for someone isn't really in the water. 
And so often you get weaker managers, higher compensation, and shorter tenures as leaders. And so all of this factors into some of the advice that I tend to give to people. Okay, let's get started on these sort of five career framework tips that I tend to give to folks. You know, again, I'll go back to sort of our point around how do we ensure each of the chapters set up the next one. And so the first one I think about is the story that you're going to take to your next job. And so let's say I'm looking at a new opportunity. The first question I would ask is that, okay, well, let's talk about success. A couple of years from now, you take that role and you had a great run. And now you talk about what you're going to do next. Walk me through the story that you're going to relay about what you built, what you learned, what challenges you navigated, what ambiguities did you have to overcome. That is essentially the product of what you achieve in your next couple of years. It's less about the compensation. No one goes into a job interview and said, hey, I had a great run because I made half a million dollars in the last two years. You should hire me. No, instead, what they're going to ask is, well, walk me through how it worked. Walk me through what you ended up having to deal with. And so I think that I joined Company X with Y Challenges is the story that you're going to have to tell. And often when you look at three or four job decisions, and by the way, staying at your current company, all of those are going to have a story associated with it. And I think that if you can't tell a great story, if it's a story that's, I went to this company and I ended up having two job changes and three managers, and there were just all these headcount challenges, and we never were able to get the right resources on the project, not a great story. Does that mean that you won't get the next job? Probably not, but it means that the next job wasn't career additive. It's probably the same job that you would get now. And so think a little bit about how strong of a story you might end up having. Now, some people might tell me that, look, that's a pretty tall order. I mean, I'm relatively early in my career. And the challenge is that the stories that I would be able to tell are pretty small. Then I think that there's an opportunity to think a little bit about the brand that you might end up being able to associate with the story. So I came to Meta or I came to Google and I worked for two years and I was a struggle to build anything of substance because building at this company, with so much scale and so many constraints means that I just wasn't able to sort of have that perfect story. Well, that might be understandable. And yet the things that you learned, because it's a scaled company and because those are some of the best practices and best people, might be superior to the same story in a startup where people would say, well, you went to a small company and the company struggled and you weren't able to make much headway. But I would definitely say that the learning you had is much more transferable when the company is more substantive and you've got to sort of see the weather where success was in the atmosphere. And so I think the story that you bring to your next job is criteria one. Okay. So criteria two that I tend to push on very much is that walk me through how fast you think you will find flow in your next role. So, for example, I'm looking at two job opportunities, and one is a relatively complicated area where there's very high expectations. 
The expectations are that the project is on fire. I will come in. I will have to very quickly hire a team or set a direction or change the culture. And the company is reasonably successful. And by the way, these are all things that I don't necessarily know. Even the product itself is a new area. But boy, is it a huge opportunity. It's so career additive because look at the scope that I will achieve. Yet the second job is something that I feel like I'll be much more successful at. It's very similar to the skills I've demonstrated in the past. And when I see the second story, most people are like, well, that seems very lateral. But what I would say is that in the first case, six months from now, you might feel very much like you're not in flow. You might feel that you're still struggling to find your sea legs, that the context is missing, the expectations are very high, and you're not doing great. And after even a year, you might feel like you've not really found your rhythm and you're not your true self. Well, in larger organizations, that's common because they're complex places and they're complex problems. But ultimately, after a year or so, people start making decisions as to what opportunities might exist elsewhere. And in many of these cases, it's not the first job that you take, and sometimes it's the second job. And so what I like looking at is even within a company, what's the skip opportunity that you might have there? And so what I'm essentially saying is that sometimes it's better to find a role, perhaps a little smaller, where you can crush it. You feel like yourself in six months. You are seen. People love the work you are doing. And then you get thrust into the next new opportunity. That opportunity might be much more challenging, much more scope, much more opportunity to be a manager. But then you come with confidence. You come with support. And in that second job is where you really do your damage. So I would often say, maybe it's better to look at the company and then look to see what the entry role looks like and the speed to flow than just trying to optimize everything in one shot, put all the risk on your ability to find it, and essentially make sure the expectations are sort of matched according to what you can reasonably achieve. Okay? So speed of finding flow and the story that you will bring with you after you leave your next opportunity are two critical elements of the career framework I want us to use. The third is the growth rate of the company. I think to really move within a company from one opportunity to another, that really happens when a company is growing and growing rapidly. I think that a company that's growing slowly just doesn't have the kind of luck that you need in order to move forward in your career. In fact, the best part of growth is if your company is growing slightly faster than you are. In fact, it's a well-known model to find a fastest-growing company and come in even at the bottom because the tide will rise and lift your boat is the idea. I think that a company that's actually growing slower than you are often is the primary reason why it's time to leave. And that happens all the time. And it's not just a company. It could be a project. So within a larger setting, sometimes you'll have parts of the company that are not growing and then parts of the company that are growing very rapidly. And then you want to be able to orient yourself towards, well, are you in that middle stage where you're trying to really master a skill, in which case a fast-growing, high-expectation environment might actually prevent you from doing so. So that's where you end up matching your growth rate much closer to your environment versus like you feel like you're really nailing things, 
but you're stuck because the environment isn't growing that slowly. So I'm a huge fan of making sure that you match those growth rates and ideally be slightly slower than the company behind you, which is pulling you forward. And I think about my career, some of the best and most effective learning came from moving between growth stages of company. I describe these four stages that exist. One is sort of this pre-product market fit, sort of drunken walk, early stage environment. Then there's sort of the post-product market fit where things are working and you're starting to put in process. And then the third is this hyper-growth, which was my experience when I was at Credit Karma. And then the more late stage, which is when you're a domain expert, the Googles, the Amazons, the metas of the world. And so I think that you get different learnings at each of these phases. And so sometimes this idea of picking growth is to make sure that not only you're being in an environment that's pulling you forward, but also that you're building playbooks at these different phases. The fourth area builds on that notion of diversity. I think that elite careers tend to be as diverse as possible. Because think about it, if you're going to be asked to join a company and come in as a leader, the playbook that you have to bring in is going to be unique. It's not going to be, hey, I worked at X company and this is the exact same thing. Sure, there might be elements, as we've talked about, which gives you a real advantage to moving quickly up the ranks. But it's very unlikely that it's going to be the exact same playbook. Even if you boomerang back to the same company a few years later, it'll be a different playbook. And so the question is, if you are asked to write a new chapter in this book of yours or in the book of the company, the question is, like, who's most effective? The one that sort of have one playbook to pull from or 50? So the more diverse your career is, the more advantageous you are, the more attractive you are as a candidate. And so it's not just the growth phases that I alluded to earlier. It's things like the products themselves, the customers, the verticals in industries. So someone who's worked in enterprise settings where they've sold to businesses and then settings where they've built direct-to-consumer, those are totally different types of companies. Someone who's worked at different growth phases, someone who's worked in industries that are distinct, like semiconductors, all the way to consumer software, to marketplaces, to platform and technologies. These are all diverse playbooks. And then when you come to the table as a leader, you're saying that I understand the problem you're seeing. It's a little different than perhaps we've seen, but it's very similar to this area. Perhaps someone from my network, perhaps I can provide us some assistance. So that diversity of experience is so, so helpful. So professional diversity is our fourth area, which is distinct from this growth rate, finding flow, and ultimately making sure that you have a great story. Okay. And then lastly, I want to talk a little bit about pace of work. I think that people spend a little less time thinking about this as they look at jobs. They almost put blinders on and say, well, I want the biggest job at the best company with the highest compensation. I will do what it takes. And perhaps that's actually correct. Perhaps that is actually your best next job. But I think that the first thing I want you to do before you think through a job decision or a job decision that might involve leaving or staying is to determine what is the right pace of work for you given your lifestyle. And that answer changes depending on who you are and where you are in life. I think that not having a proactive, intentional relationship with work 
essentially setting up the box that you want work to fill and then ensuring that it doesn't exceed beyond that or it doesn't significantly underfill that box is a huge part of this fifth career framework. Because maybe you're at a point in your career where you're excited about pushing really hard. You feel like, look, I have a handful of years where I can make work prime time. I can push, 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 push. Nobody loves reducing their free time. But ultimately, there are times, and certainly I had these, where work was almost my primary focus. And it wasn't always the case. And I think that there are times when, and and certainly now, where I try to do things a little bit more in balance. But that moment in which you determine, hey, for this chapter, this is the space I want the job to take, allows you to then look at the job that you're considering, And if the job you're considering is one that is incredibly high-paced for you to hit expectations and grow, and yet you're realizing that, look, from my vantage point, based on what I want to do with my family, what I want to invest in with my personal time, you end up in a really rough spot where you have one outsized from the other. Similarly, sometimes people are like, look, I'm really, really excited about investing a ton of time at work. But the company is just not culturally doing that. So sometimes people ask me, like, well, how do you determine this? Because if you start asking questions around pace, people get a little bit skittish. They're like, well, what is this guy asking? Or what is this gal asking about? Maybe it's because they're afraid to work hard. And yeah, you don't want to signal without being too aggressive because, you know, this is a sensitive topic. People want individuals who are willing to push as hard as they can in order to make the job successful. And so what I usually try to get a sense for in an interview is just ask people how they work. What is this sort of norm for the company? Ideally, you'd be a little bit harder working than the rest of the folks around there or about at the same level so that you end up being seen for your push, but that you aren't in an extreme situation. And there is no shame, by the way, in saying that, hey, that job is so high paced that it's just not right for me this year. I'd rather we do that than churn or end up in a situation where you have so much anxiety about making ends meet that you end up on one hand crushing it at work, but then ultimately realizing that this is just so much of an investment that when you then look for your next job, you almost pull fully back. Because our goal is to make this next job set us up for the future. If you burn out in this next job, that is not good. That will make it very hard for you to get that bigger, better job down the road. Okay, so those are our five career characteristics that belong on columns of our spreadsheet. I think in short, don't focus on someone else's career framework or the generic one. Compensation's great, but if you can accelerate a path to leadership, that's where you make the bigger dollars. So think about that instead. Great managers are great. If they can find a great manager, it's an amazing career catapult, but they're hard to find. And oftentimes, that you can't spot them in interviews. And you go through reorganizations. And so six months later, you might be working for someone else. But growth might teach you more. Growth forces you to put yourself into tougher but bigger and more career-additive positions. Brand name are always great to add to your background. But brands are tougher to assimilate into. It's harder and slower to find flow. And so I think what you really want is a place where you can start fast and find your cadence, your rhythm 
Ultimately, when you have flow, you are seen, and that's when you really start to grow. And so think a little bit about making sure these are your characteristics. And so I would ask you to focus on the following. Try to ensure that the job situation, whether you're staying or going, ultimately sets you up for something bigger downstream. Ultimately, I want to know what your story that you will be able to generate after this decision, after the next few years will enable. I want to know, can you hit your stride and quickly find rhythm? Is the growth rate of the organization, the project, or the place that you are heading going to be sufficiently strong that it will pull you forward? And is it a new corporate experience? Because we know that diverse experiences, whether they're industry or whether it's phase or whether it's the challenges that you might end up facing, all are career additive. They all add to those playbooks that we need going forward. And lastly, you just want to ensure that the role that you're looking at fits within the pace that you desire and that you're intentional about your relationship with work in this next opportunity. So I've had a pleasure walking you through my career framework. I look forward to hearing your questions and would love to come back to this topic and extend maybe some other important characteristics that we use to build out a career framework for you and your tech career. Stay tuned for part two, where I'll go through a broader set of questions that I want you to think about when you're actually making a decision on stay versus go or a new opportunity. Until then, thanks for tuning in.